Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Robertson welcoming you to a special edition of TV Confidential, a radio talk show about television. They'll say happy birthday to our friend James Garner in just a few minutes as we play part two of our conversation with John Winokur. John is the co-author, along with James Garner, of The Garner Files, the story of Jim's life and career in the motion picture industry. This Saturday, April 7th, will be Jim's 84th birthday, and to mark the occasion, John Winokur will be appearing at Book Soup in West Hollywood on April 7th to talk about The Garner Files. As we pick up our conversation with John Winokur about James Garner and The Garner Files, we asked John what he thinks Jim would have done with his life had he not become an actor. I think if he could have, he would have become a race driver, a race car driver. Uh, He'd always loved cars. He'd uh, grown up uh, in Norman playing a game called Ditchem. They would go and they first they'd have to siphon some gas out of somebody's car because Mm -hmm. they couldn't afford the, they didn't have gas money. And then they'd ride all around the county uh, uh, kissing each other's bumpers playing this game called Ditchem. And uh, he started driving when he was 12. Uh, at the age of 14, he was uh, working as an assistant to a, an itinerant dress salesman and drove him all, all around Texas. And when he did Grand Prix, he discovered that not only did he love it, but he had a tremendous amount of talent. John Frankenheimer directed. They filmed it uh, on the actual Grand Prix course in the uh, 1966 season. And they used these venues while the actual Grand Prix races were taking place. So the crew would come on before and after the race. And a lot of the Grand Prix drivers were also extras uh, and some had even small cameos in in the film. And many of them said that Garner could have beaten many of the uh, professional Grand Prix drivers. Uh, And this was after a little instruction. Uh, Jim is very proud of the fact that he was Bob Bondurant's first student. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bob Bondurant now has uh, probably the most famous uh, driving school in the world. Up in Northern California. Up in Northern California. And I believe also, in, I think there's a branch in Arizona now. Mm-hmm. Uh, in any case, Jim took to it immediately, and he absolutely loved it. Jim says in the Garner Files that one does not drive a Formula One car, one wears it. What does he mean by that? Well, in those days, and I guess it's still true, the cars are very small. And in his case, at, at six foot three inches, they actually had to take the seat out, and uh, he sat on a little piece of, of leather, <laughs> as he described it, <laughs> uh, and his head was still above the roll bar. Uh, in those days, they were just little tubes of very thin gauge metal, and uh, they didn't have seat belts. 
because the drivers preferred to take their chances being th thrown free in the case of an accident rather than stay in the car because the car is just folded up like, like you know, paper. Uh, so they were dangerous. They were very uncomfortable. Uh, you know, now they're, uh, they're compar comparatively luxurious. Uh, uh, in those days, they actually had regular gear shifts, and Jim said that uh, the insides of, of your fingers would blister from, from doing the gear changes. Now they have little paddles on the wheels, you know, but uh, it was very rough, and, but it had a certain romance that he thinks is gone now. When, when when Jim talks about how you how you practically you know wear it and you you just describe how how tightly confined he was you know almost like the body of the car is like you know a piece of clothing that's how tight it was um, right it uh, it kind of speaks to how he describes uh, Frankenheimer's approach to filming Grand Prix and that he wanted to put the viewers in the car as much as possible. Oh yeah, they they invented the special effects people, uh, the second unit cameraman John Stevens. Uh, they invented a lot of special effects techniques that are still in, uh, being used now. Um, they had to. They went to Bell Labs to get a, a serviceable helmet cam. They actually and they were shooting in um, in for Cinerama, so they had these seventy millimeter cameras. And they actually put mounts uh, on the cars, and they, they put these cameras right on the cars, and then they had to counterweight the cars to make up for the, the weight of the cameras. And uh, Frankenheimer was an absolute fanatic uh, for realism. And the result is, uh, to this day, Grand Prix is considered by aficionados still the best uh, racing film ever made, even though it's, you know, 50 years old. Well, that's a, that's the definition of a classic. I mean, the fact that it is, even though it is nearly 50 years old, it's still held up to be the standard, um, you know, by, by people to understand or know and know the industry. Yeah, uh, somebody called it uh, 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 porn for gearheads <laughs> because uh, uh, Frankenheimer comes really close on a lot of the a lot of the. Uh, the technology he takes these absolute loving close-ups of, of things, and I, uh, people who like that kind of thing uh, really get off on it. Yeah, uh, and 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 conversely, uh, people who maybe just kind of casual uh, racing fans, or you know, or 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 Jim Garner fans, you know, first and foremost, but not necessarily racing fans, when they see it on on the big screen, or at least I understand back then when they saw it on big screens, it hit a little too close to home. It did, and, and by the way, uh, uh, Garner did all his driving. I want to ask you about I, that. 95% of it. Unlike all the other stars who were either towed or doubled. And they, start, they didn't start out that way. They started out um, doing their own driving, and then one by one they lost control. One of them spun his car uh, in the pits, and he had had enough. But Jim did all his own driving and loved every second of it. Not only did he do his own driving and love every second of it, John, I understand he was so committed to doing his own driving that um, I understand there's an issue with Lloyd's of London that, yeah. um, that, that didn't stop Jim from, from doing his own driving. Yes, Lloyd's of London had insured the production, and uh, 
Jim was in Belgium at, at uh, the spa uh, course, and uh, it, it was raining, and Jim was out there <laughs> doing 120, 125 in the rain in, the, in, in his car. Uh, and by the way, the cars that uh, they used for the film were mock-ups of the actual Formula One cars. Mm-hmm. But the Formula One cars could do 160. These mock-ups could do 130. And Jim was out there, and the Lloyd's guy, the Lloyd's rep came down, and he said, oh, uh, Mr. Garner, we can't, we can't allow this, uh, you know. And so he, Jim said, well, we, we placated him, and uh, we told him we wouldn't. And then as soon as he left, we, I went back to driving. But later on in the shoot, uh, there was a stunt in which Jim, Jim's car crosses the finish line, and then bursts into flame. And they rigged the, uh, and Jim was doing the driving, and they rigged these, these uh, uh, tanks uh, filled with uh, some kind of liquefied gas to flare up when he pushed a button inside the cockpit. Well, he pushed the button, crossed the finish line, pushed the button, and instead of these flames just kind of shooting out, the entire car burst into a fireball. Wow. And they just got him out of the car. And there's a picture, which we were able to use in the book, of them pulling him out just at that moment. And at that point, Lloyd came down and said, you really are through now. And at that point, he had done all his, his driving anyway, so it worked out. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. We're talking to John Winokur. John's the co-author along with James Garner of The Garner Files, a memoir of James Garner's life in career in the motion picture and television industry. The uh, publisher of the Garner Files is Simon Schuster, and you can find the Garner Files in bookstores everywhere, as well as Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and wherever books are sold online. Now, um, nearly getting uh, fried to death in, uh, while making Grand Prix did not deter Jim from racing cars in any sense of the word, John. I understand that he formed his own company uh, not too long after filming Grand Prix. He formed his own company. Uh, and the air racing team, American International Racers, they started out with Corvettes, and they didn't work out, so they switched to Lola's. And they were, and th- they ran in uh, Formula S, which is uh, just below Formula One. And um, uh, they ran in Sebring, Daytona, those, those endurance races. Jim did not drive, because at that point, He'd been sort of outed, and no producer would uh, would hire him without a, you know an absolute assurance that he wouldn't drive. Mm-hmm. But he got, had a lot of fun uh, being the owner of the team, and he just put his whole heart into it. And the team was quite successful. Uh, they they finished second in one Daytona and had some high finishes. And then after about a year or so, he realized that he didn't have enough time or enough money to to keep up that hobby. So he, he gave up the team. 
but then he started driving in the Baja 1000, and he drove in that for about five years. What's the difference between uh, driving a Formula One and driving uh, and, and driving the Baja 1000? Well, Formula One is a precision game. I mean, uh, uh, it's down to, I mean, he told me that they would drive a course in a practice run, and they would um, predetermine every gear change on every inch of that race course, uh, whereas, uh, and of course, it's driven on asphalt. Uh, the Baja 1000 is driven through a desert landscape, uh, with ruts in the road and uh, booby traps put there by <laughs> spectators and all kinds of hazards. The cars are designed to, to survive the, the punishment they get on this course rather than uh, to go as fast as possible, although they do get up to you know, 80, 90 miles an hour, or did in those days. They, I think they probably go faster now. But again, he just, and, and he fell into the cracks on that. He said he'd never understood why the producers and the studios didn't object to him driving in the Baja 1000 uh, because he'd gotten quite a bit of publicity for it. And, in fact, his involvement uh, uh, probably uh, helped put that race on the map. He drove in, I believe, the second one. Um, and, in any case, uh, and his explanation was that uh, or the only thing he could think of was they must have thought it was some kind of a rally. Checkpoint. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in any case, uh, he drove that for about five or six years, and he did have a, a team there uh, at Baja, and uh, he also drove uh, for the for a Bronco team. He drove uh, uh, for uh, Vic Hickey. Uh, uh, he drove Vic Hickey design cars. Uh, uh, and really, really loved it. Of course, the irony, John, is that uh, okay. He drove, uh, he drove Formula One. He he drove in the Baja One Thousand. He he did his own driving in, in in Rockford for five and a half years, and I think he did some stunt driving for Steve McQueen in the Getaway. In, right. Okay. He went to um, he went to the shoot. They were shooting in in. I think Texas, and uh, they were shooting the getaway, and uh, Jim had driven a van uh, to his longtime uh, friend and assistant, Louis Delgado, who was working on that, on that shoot, and Jim volunteered to drive a new van that Louis's wife had, had got for him and had set up for him. Um, and Jim volunteered to drive it and deliver it to Louie and, and surprise him with it. So Jim drove it there, and Sam Peckinpah, the director, he said to Peckinpah, hey, look, how about while I'm here, how about putting me to work? And, said, and Peckinpah said, okay, see that little orange VW there? Drive that in this, in this uh, bank robbery <laughs> getaway scene. And Jim was happy to do it. And after he did it, uh, he went up to Peckinpah and said, well, okay, well, or, how much are you going to pay me? So Peckinpah reached into his pocket and took out a dollar bill. <laughs> Jim took it and walked away, and he said, Peckinpah didn't know that I would have done it for free. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking-
talking to John Winokur. John is a co-author, along with James Garner, of The Garner Files, a memoir of Jim Garner's life and career in the motion picture industry. The publisher is Simon & Schuster, and you can find The Garner Files in bookstores everywhere, as well as Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and wherever books are sold online. Uh, John, you're telling me there is a point you wanted to clarify uh, earlier about the uh, Baja 1000. Yes, I want to correct an inaccuracy. Uh, I, I misspoke. I said uh, that uh, Jim's uh, American International Racers ran in Formula S. Well, of course, it's Formula A. The Lola T-70s that they ran were, were Formula A. Well, again, it's, it's, it's that attention to detail that not only you, you capture in our conversation about Jim, but it's, it's the sort of detail that Jim didn't let slip by himself because, you know, once he threw himself in something, especially like uh, racing, you know, he understood every aspect of it. Oh, he really did, and uh, he he was just worked tirelessly in everything he ever did to be accurate. Whatever he was doing, he had a great sense of what had to be done. Uh, and uh, although he he kept a light hand on the tiller, he really oversaw everything he did, and not just in the productions that he was responsible for, like the Rockford Files. Uh, without being obtrusive or obnoxious, he really kept an eye on everything that was going on around him and would very politely, very subtly uh, point out things that were inaccurate and needed to be fixed. Well, we've talked about this not only on this program, but we've talked about it off mic in our conversations that you and I have had. You know, the thing about Jim is like any good CEO. And let's face it, you know, Jim was the CEO of Cherokee Productions, whether he would, or any of his other production companies, whether he would, you know, use that name or not, he was. The best managers, the best, you know, CEOs, they hire the best people possible. They keep an eye on every aspect of the, of the operation, but they don't micromanage. Uh, they, they give them the room to do their job and they stay out of the way. Because, and, and, and Jim said this, Jim has said this himself, you get the best results that way. Exactly right. That is precisely his approach. Hire good people, and he would also um, he was also not afraid to weed out anybody who uh, did fit in to that to that plan. You know, if he said he said if we had a rotten apple, they were gone because it was just too important uh, uh, to him to have that atmosphere. Uh, and he wouldn't use this term, but to have that 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 standard of excellence that he was not afraid of, uh, of uh, removing somebody from that if they weren't going along with the program. But at the same, at the same time, conversely, if, if we were to play a game of word association, and if you were to say James Garner to me, I would immediately say loyalty because you know, that speaks to who he is as a person. And when it comes to the people in his production company, to the extent it was possible, he kept bringing uh, the same people behind the scenes, crew members. Many crew members were with him, um, not only on um, you know, some of his mo um, uh, motion pictures in the 60s, but he stayed with them. He would stay with them, and they would stay with them for years, up, up into the 70s and 80s, you know, uh, Rockford, Nichols, uh, the Hallmark Hall of Fame, because he, he believed in, you know, going back to the apple analogy. Once you pick out the few, you know, bad apples, you know, that spoil the bunch, the, it was important to him that he kept the bunch, he, he would keep the same you know, people as possible. Absolutely. In fact, this is not something he told me, but I believe I read this in your book, uh, 30 Years of the Rockford Files, that 
people came out of retirement when Jim came back to do the, the Rockford TV movies. People gave up jobs uh, in order to take to to go and work for him. And again, it just it just speaks to who he is, and it speaks to what to to how people feel about him. And and and, and again, you just you don't see a lot of that today. That's for sure. Yeah. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. John Winokur is the co-author, along with James Garner, of The Garner Files, a memoir of James Garner's life and career of the television and motion picture industry. You can find The Garner Files in bookstores everywhere, as well as Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and wherever books are sold online. One more item, if you find yourself working from home these days, and let's face it, we're all working from home these days, and are looking for a simple way to operate your business by phone, you might want to check out Grasshopper. Grasshopper, the new virtual phone system designed specifically for entrepreneurs. Grasshopper works like a traditional phone system without any of the hassle. That's because you don't have to buy any hardware or install any software. Everything is done virtually. You can manage it online or by phone. That means callers can reach you wherever you are, any time of the day, on your cell phone. Check out trygrasshopper.com forward slash TV Confidential to check out how it works. With Grasshopper, you will sound more professional. You can run your business from anywhere while keeping your work life and your family life separate. Go to trygrasshopper.com forward slash TV Confidential and save $50 on your first order. You get a toll-free or local number for your business with multiple extensions. You can set up each extension with custom call forwarding to any phone in the world, as well as send or receive text messages from your business number. Get voicemails emailed to you as audio attachments and a whole lot more. Plans start as low as 12 bucks a month, and there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. Go to trygrasshopper.com forward slash TV Confidential and save $50 on your first order. That's trygrasshopper.com forward slash TV Confidential. Trygrasshopper.com forward slash TV Confidential. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at tvconfidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer, 
or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.